worry free day, so that's just, you know, as according to your faith, so be it unto you kind of deal. And we're going to start a new series called Virtue Us. I've just been praying, uh, asking the Lord what he wants to do, and I feel like he wants to uh, show us how to live a life of victory. And so I had a title called Victory Us, and I felt like he told me, before you do Victory Us, I want you to do Virtue Us. And excuse me, I haven't even eaten cake. Virtue is a river and a current of life that produces excellence. That's what virtue does. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a background on virtue. And then I'm going to we'll talk about some of the principles of virtue. And today we're going to specifically focus on one of them, and it's honor. And, and specifically, honor to the Lord. And so in the ancient world, living a life of virtue was what they considered the ability to produce excellence. So when you lived with virtue, your life would produce excellence. It's the Greek word, say it with me, arte... Ergon, and it means excellence or the power of excellence. It also means river or current. So it means you have the power or the current that produces excellence in your life. Why don't you say this with me? Perfection is not the goal. Excellence is. People say, well, we're supposed to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. My, my answer to that is, how's that working for you? Right? It doesn't work like that. Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect because the man asked him what he has to do. And when Jesus was showing him the impossibility of attaining eternal life by human effort, you want to attain, hum, you want to turn, attain human eff, uh, eternal life by human effort? Be perfect. Well, he was trying to show them the impossibility of that task. It's impossible. God's desire in our lives is that we would produce excellence. Our perfection comes through him. In Christ, we're made perfect before him. You don't feel perfect, you don't look perfect, and you don't act perfect. But in God's eyes, in your position before him, you're accepted and you're in perfection. And so what, what is excellence? Excellence is the ability to maximize the potential of what you've been given. Right? It doesn't mean, so what God produces in excellence through his life is not exactly how he produces excellence, but we're all given something, and what we're given, to what we're, given we're supposed to produce excellence with it. Not perfection, but we're supposed to maximize it. And you cannot produce excellence without virtue. Virtue was viewed as inseparable, the currents that produce life in the world around us. So this is the dynamic, and you're going to see it right in Scripture when I quote this, these verses from Peter, is that virtue was believed to be this power that when, when these principles or these, these things were active in a person's life, that virtue literally would change the world around you. It could shift your environment. When you operated by virtue, things would change around you. For instance, wisdom. Wisdom's a really good one. Wisdom's one of the virtues, right? And we're going to talk, not today, but we're going to talk about it. And we can all agree that when you live a life, let's just use foolishness, because most of us are more associated with, we can get foolishness real quick. When you live a life of foolishness, it produces a world around you, doesn't it? When you live a life of wisdom, it begins to produce a life, a world around you. And so the idea of virtue is that when we operate with these principles or we begin to understand these things and connect them to the Lord and live from them, it begins to change the world around us, our immediate circle and our a uh, little bit further out. In the ancient world, if you did not have, if you were looked at to, as a person who did not have virtue, the, the Greek word is akrasian. They literally had a name for you, a crazy end. In other words, you crazy. You crazy. You know, you live a life without virtue. You crazy. A crazy end. And it meant you lived a life without power. And you were viewed as someone who worked against themselves. 
Because you didn't live a life that contained virtue. You, you lived a life that was without virtue or without these, 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 these elements, and therefore you were working against yourself. What are some of these, what are the, some of these uh, virtues? And these are well, the, the ones I'm drawing from. This comes more from, you know, we could take the fruit of the Spirit, but the, because the Bible combines not just the fruit of the Spirit, it actually weaves this word virtue is seen several times in the New Testament. So it's important to kind of take the context of when Paul was writing this, what was exactly was he talking about? So Socrates said the, the virtues that, we, that are honor, justice, wisdom, courage, and self-control. And if you live a life or you're operating from these principles and you live a life that is a life of honor, you live a life that is a life of justice, wisdom, courage, self-control, you'll literally change the world around you. You have the ability to, 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 to create a current that changes life around you. So what honor is what we're going to talk about today, but what's justice? Justice is the right use of power. Okay? Every one of us has power. We have power. So when the Bible deems justice and the Bible's talking about injustice, it isn't necessarily talking about court systems. It's not necessarily talking about um, legal term. It's, not, it's a legal term, but it's not talking about legalities. You all have power. Do you use it correctly? If you use the power that you have correctly, the Bible says that it's justice. If you use the power incorrectly, the Bible uses it as injustice. All of us have power and influence. So are we using our power and influence to subjugate people? Or are we using our power and influence to liberate people or to bring them higher? If you're using your power and influence to put everybody underneath you, Scripture would say that you're operating unjustly. That doesn't mean there's not hierarchies. I get it. We workplace, all that other stuff. Somebody's got to be the boss. I understand that. But even as the power of the boss, if you're like, let's say you're in a corporation, are you using your power to enable that person to reach their potential? Are you doing that? Are you using the influence that you have to help other people along? Or are you using, are you, this is worldly, are you using them to suppress them for your own means? <laughs> Yes, how familiar we all are with that one, aren't we? So th that's what the Bible would call justice. Yes, there are courts that rule wrongly, and that's why we say injustice in the court, because the court has the power to change it, right? But they don't use that power. Therefore, it's injustice. When power is used correctly, it's, it's called justice. When it's used incorrectly, and most of us are familiar with this from the aspect of it with, through the legal system, through the way the police, through, through the, you know, the landlord or whatever, that they deal with us unjustly, or we deal with others. That's, so that's why I want you to understand that. And I also want you to understand that you have power as well and that the Lord expects you or wants you to live virtuously and that means using your power correctly do you use your power to, to honor the Lord or do you use your power to empower yourself that's another one wisdom is soundness of judgment wisdom means knowing what to do and when to do it <laughs> it's not just enough to know what to do it's knowing when to do it Bible holds up wisdom very very highly and it tells us that wisdom is more desirable than gold. Understanding is more precious than silver. Why is that? So if the dude, if somebody, a whale or a female or whoever, this person has money and you take away or they lose or whatever happens, all their money has gone. If they possess wisdom and understanding, they'll get it all back. And probably in half the time. Because they won't make the same stupid mistakes that they did the first time around, right? But if somebody wins the lottery, <laughs> most of the time it's gone in five, seven, ten years. It's all gone because they had money, but they didn't have wisdom. And so wisdom is knowing what to do 
when to do it. The wisdom is knowing how to do something and also knowing when to do it. So wisdom's a big one. Courage, this is interesting. Courage, the view of courage was it's the restoration, establishment, and the preservation of what is right. So when someone acts courageously, the scripture is telling us that courage from that context means you're standing up for something that's right, that's courageous. Doesn't mean you ran across a bed of coals at a Tony Robbins seminar, right? I was courageous. I ran across those hot... I don't know if you guys are familiar with that at all, but <laughs> that's the image that comes to my mind. But so the courage... So courage is the restoration, the establishment, and the preservation of what is right. So when someone stands up and says, this is not right, and they voice something, that, and they, they make a courageous stand, or they establish something that, that's right, or they preserve something that's right, that's what the scripture would call courage. So this is a virtue. You, have the, you see how you can change the world around you? You can begin to affect the world around you through these things, through wisdom, through acting courageously. Justice, when you operate it according to these, that, like that way, when you understand it like that, you, really can, you realize that your power can affect change. You know, you all have, everyone has power. Self, self-control means harmony. Self-mastery, yes. But it also means a harmony and a unity with oneself. <laughs> you don't feel the need to compensate. You, you're, you're at peace with yourself. You have the ability to master yourself. You know what you're doing and why you're doing it. And you're not doing it to sort of fill voids within yourself. I think I'm going to use Samson when I talk about self-control. I was going to do a series on Judges, right, the book of Judges. That was my plan. And I was like, Meh. yeah, I started mapping it. And I was like, wow, this is really deep. It's, I mean, it's deep and it's good, but it's just... It plays out, doesn't play out. It's like really heavy for like a Sunday morning. It's like, this is heavy, yeah? And even though this is heavy, but it's just, so I'm trying to figure out a way. I was like, okay, so if I take this and I weave this in like this and I make it like this, does this work? And I feel like it works. So hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Welcome to my world. This is what I do. <laughs> so Second Peter, I asked the Holy Spirit, what do you want? And he said, I want this. I said, what do you want for the summer? So I'll just tell you my, my experience. I said, what do you want for the summer? And I feel like he's like, because um, I, you know, I have a, ideas of my own, but I have no good ideas. Jesus is the only good idea. So I asked the Lord what he wants. He said, I want you to teach him how to live victoriously. I want you, and I, I don't exactly know what that means yet, so pray for me, but I feel like he wants, to, he, wants, he wants to do something about living victoriously. So I was like, oh, okay. And so I was like, okay, victory, victorious. I thought, wow, that's a good, that's a good title. And I felt like he was telling me that uh, before you go with victorious, I want you to go with virtuous. Because it's not, you cannot achieve or manifest or sustain victory without virtue. Virtue is internal, right? It, coming out of you. Whereas Jesus, when the woman touched him, excellence came out of him. That's why she was healed, right? Woman with the thing. The Bible uses the word archon or arte, which is the same word for virtue, came out of him. So excellence came out of him. That woman was healed by excellence. Is that crazy? It, wasn't, wasn't, it didn't even use the word anointing. When the woman with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment, the Bible says virtue, excellence, came out of him. Crazy. And so, so I feel like we're going to build that up. So here's the deal. 2 Peter 1.3 says God's power, God's divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So the provision in Christ is given and the inheritance of all believers is summed up in this term. God in his provision and in his inheritance to us has given us things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Ephesians tells us that it's in the heavenly places, right? 
So Ephesians uses the same language, and it tells us that our inheritance is in the heavenly places. In other words, in the Spirit. Peter's going to tell us that it's not just in the heavenly places. It's through the promises. Right? So we access our inheritance that is given to us in the heavenly places that's ours. That's a spiritual concept, but it's also activated through the promises. And I would take it even further than that and include this because it's going to relate. Is through honor. It says, the one who has called us by glory and honor, he's already provided for us all of these things. And he's called us unto himself with glory and his virtue. So God's called us unto himself. The word glory is goodness and the word virtue is excellence. So God's called you to himself with goodness and excellence. Right? It's a good thing that he calls you. He loves you. He wants you to come to him. It's an excellent thing to him that you can come to him and you can be sons and daughters. This isn't something that God, this isn't Jesus' like after plan. You know, like he's the master of the universe. He's all these things. And he's thinking, oh yeah, I saved this little group of this little tribe of people down there on earth, you know. Uh, it's just kind of like my pet project, you know. He, it's, not, it's not an after, you're not an afterthought to him. You are the centrality of everything he is. You are literally his muse, Right? And the Bible says he calls us to himself through his goodness because it is good to him that we come to him. He calls us to himself because it is an excellent and virtuous thing. And it says he has given us these things through great and precious promises. So life and godliness are given to us through the promises. If you want to experience what God has for you, you have to learn to encounter his promises. It won't happen doesn't happen by default. You have to find a promise. You have to press into the promise. You have to meet the conditions of the promise, and you have to contend for it, right? A lot of people know the promise. They've met the condition of the promise, but they still have to fight someone, particularly a devil, that keeps them because he doesn't give you a clear run at it. Another thing Christians don't understand is you have to contend. We do spiritual warfare based upon promises. I'm all in. But the first step is to meet the conditions of the promise. Call upon me, and I will answer you and show you. Real simple one. We just taught it. I will show you great and mighty things that you know not of. That is a promise with a condition. God's going to give you revelation. Great and mighty things that you know not of. Well, what's that mean? Well, what do you want? What do you want him to show you? You want him to give you insight? You want him to give you ability? You want him to give you revelation into something that you're pursuing? What is it that you want? That's the first thing. Call upon me and I will give you, I'll show you great and mighty things. You want to show them, you know, you can put it in practical terms. Like, Lord, I need you to show me how to love my wife. Lord, I need you to show me how to honor my husband. A great and mighty thing that you know not of. He's going to show you a way to do that that you don't know. Lord, I need you to show me how to succeed in this down market. He's going to show you. Lord, I need you to show me how to 10x my business. He'll show you. Lord, is it your will? Yeah, I want you to 10x. If that's the first thing, is it your will? What do you want from me? I want you to 10x your business. Oh, okay. You know? Quinn was in first service. I said, has anybody ever had a promise made to him? And Quinn goes, uh, uh, Quinn says, uh, yeah, the Lord promised me he's going to 10x my losses. I said, what were your losses? He's gonna, what, he said he's believing for $27,000, right? Because he lost $2,700, I guess. And I don't know how, whatever. It's not my story. But he said he felt like the Lord told him. I said, so your next question is, how? Or what is it that you, is there anything that relates to me? God made him a direct promise to him that says, I'm going to take your, your losses and I'm going to 10x them back to him. Now, he didn't give him a time frame. He didn't say, I'm going to do it in 24 months. You could ask him for a time frame. But the question would be, what, what do you want to do? Is there anything that's required of me? Is there any positioning? There's questions that are involved in those direct promises. Then there are scriptural promises. So when God gives you a promise that relates to you, that requires you to partner with it, Christian. So if God says, I'm going to restore your marriage, 
Okay, well, God said he's going to restore my marriage. Well, if you know anything about promises, promises always come with conditions. Not all of them, but most of them. Most of them. That's what he tells you. And so you say, well, how am I going to restore your home? Well, Kevin, I'm going to restore your home because I'm going to restore you. What does that mean? Well, I'm going to take you completely apart. I'm going to take you down to the bolts, and then I'm going to build you back up. And then once I've built you back up, I'm going to restore your house. Oh, no. <laughs> what does that require of me, Lord? Submission. Submission. <laughs> Uncomfortability. Get ready because I'm going to break you down. Oh, no. I'm giving you extreme examples. But when he makes direct promises to you, that's a good thing. You know, we, you, can, you can take promises, all of the promises in the Bible, 2 Corinthians, all, not some, all of the promises in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. All of them. All of them. So if there's a promise in the Bible, the scripture tells us that all of them to you are yes. When you look at a scripture and you say, Lord, can I have this? Does this promise pertain to me? The word Lord says, yes, and so be it. So if you want to know if the promise is yours, yes, and so be it. It may not be so you take a promise of Abraham, right? Um, whatever it may be. It may not be the exact context of Abraham, but if God made that promise to Abraham and you say, can I have that promise? He's going to say yes. And he'll manifest the presence and he'll manifest the promise according to your willingness to comply, your willingness to partner, but he'll also manifest it in your context. You understand that? Abraham, the father of nations. Well, maybe you're not going to be the father of nations per se. Maybe you will be. Who knows? You know, I don't know. But he's going to give you a promise that relates to that. You know, what is the core of the promise that he gave to Abraham? Legacy. It's not about the nation. Well, God said I can. You mean to tell me I can have the promise of Abraham? Abraham was promised to become a great nation. Sand of the sea, stars of the heavens, Lord. Is that what you're trying to tell me? I'm trying to tell you that the, the core of the promise that God gave Abraham was legacy. And I'm trying to tell you that just like God gave legacy to Abraham, he'll give legacy to you. That I will absolutely tell you without a question, and I won't blink. So these are the things, like God will give you promises, and the promises pertain to your inheritance, right? Honor creates access. We talked about this in first service, and we talked about this uh, the last few weeks. Your inheritance is, is in his name. So as a Christian, God's given you great and precious promises by which you can partake of the, of the divine nature. Those great and precious promises are directly related to all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need and everything you need to serve him, love him, be a part of him, connect to him in every way, and everything you need to live and manifest dreams, visions, and destinies are given to you in the promises. Okay? Everything that you've also been given, your inheritance is also in his name. You get what I'm trying to tell you? And so you have to honor. You honor the promises by following them, by obeying them, by going after them. You honor his name. Hallowed be thy name. We honor and then we access our inheritance. It's a simple way to understand that. Honor creates access. Jehovah Shema. It means his presence. You know what I mean? The Lord is there. That's what his name is. Jehovah Shema. Jehovah Desidkanu. Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rohi. You know, he's the names of the Lord. Jehovah Shema means presence. He's there. How do I access that? So you all have access to the presence of God. Every single believer has access to the presence of the Lord and the, and the gifts of the Spirit. You have fullness of access. Well, where is it? You have to honor. 
hallowed be, honored be your name. So what happens? You come into worship. We start singing. We start worshiping. We start honoring. And then people will stand there and do nothing and kind of look around the room. Oh, wow. I never noticed it was like one, two, three. It's like 14 lights going across the stage here. Wow, that's crazy. I never, you know, some people come in here and, and, and that's their attitude. Other, and they don't experience or encounter anything. Others come in and they lean in to the atmosphere and they honor the Lord through the atmosphere and they, are gain, and they get access. You begin to sense his presence. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. So where did the access come from? Through the honor. Understand? Honor, without honor, there is no access. You cannot access it. We tried it, I told first service, try it in your home. Honor your wife and see how she opens up to you. Just tell her, I bless you. Sherry, you've been so faithful to me. You've been through so many difficult times. You've stood with me. You've stood behind me. You've been patient. You've been encouraging. You've dealt with all of my junk. And I just want to honor you for that. And I want to bless you. And I want to thank you for what a loving, kind woman you've been to me. And what a friend and a partner you've been to me. And I want to thank you for the faithfulness of your motherhood and the way you've served our children above and beyond what anybody could ask or think. I honor you for that. Right. And she's just like, let's get it on. <laughs> Honor creates access. <laughs> and the same thing with men. That's right. That's deep. <laughs> deep and profound words here this morning at Elevate. Same thing with, with not just her, but with your husband, right? If you're constantly telling the guy everything that's wrong with him, he doesn't even want to be in the same room with you. Solomon said, I'll go up on the rooftop to get away from the contentious woman. It's like, I'm going to run away. Ladies, if you, want, if you want the guy to be around you, like what he likes. Laugh at his jokes. He doesn't need you nitpicking him all of the time. He doesn't, all the men are like. It's like I got a bunch of bobbleheads in the room. Like, yeah. <laughs> Your opinions are valid. You are heard. We hear you. We don't need to hear you 15 times. We hear you. We heard you the first time. And we're working on it. Okay? You lost me at about the seventh time you repeated the same thing. You lost me. <laughs> Getting quiet. Getting quiet. Honor him. Bless him. Find what is good. Value it. Find what is good. Validate it. Men don't, men, you know, look, we all need correction. We all do. But we don't need it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. We don't need it. Nobody wants it. That's why there's no access. It's like, you don't want to be around me. Well, duh. You know, I don't want to be around you because every time is a correction. I don't want to be around you because you have something to say to me negatively all the time. You're always lecturing me. You're always telling me. You're always giving me a story. You're always correcting me. And I want to be around you. I don't want to be around it. It's the way we are. What men do is they take their ball and go home, ladies. They take their ball and go home. But if you believe in him, he's got Superman cape on now. You believe, I just think you can do it. I don't know anybody. You, you are so strong. You are so brave, so strong. He's like, dun 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 You know, that's what happens. Watch it. Watch it. He'll put on a gasoline suit and walk through hell if you believe in him. But if you rip that man to shreds, he's going to take his ball and go home. Write it down. I have women tell me I'll honor him when he's honorable. It won't happen. 
You have to honor him by faith. You have to esteem value. That's what honor means, to esteem value and worth, whether they're worthy of it or not. It's exactly how the Lord treats you. He puts value and worth on you, and you are completely not worthy of it. Completely not worthy of value and worth, but you are valuable and worthy because he puts it on you, right? Story of a Babe Ruth bat that was auctioned off years ago. It's like early 2000s. The bat was auctioned off for a million and change. Do you know why? It was just an ordinary piece of wood, but because it had Babe Ruth's signature on it. You have Jesus' signature on you. That's what establishes your value and worth. Yeah? That, wood, that bat meant nothing. It's $29.99 down at Dick's Sporting Goods, man. You know, you get the same similar bat. Go get yourself a piece of lumber. You know, you find bats all over the place, but because it had Babe Ruth's signature on it, Original and authenticated, you're original and authenticated. And the Lord's signature is upon you. Your value and worth is not is established by Jesus alone. He honors you. He honors you by giving you value and worth that you are not deserving of. And he expects us to do the same with one another, and he expects us to do the same with him. You're loved. He honors you even if you don't honor him. That's important to know. <laughs> you're honored. Lots of Christians, they're honored by the Lord. They're valued and esteemed, yet they never honor their father. Never. They, and then we honor him in a way that we think is acceptable. We do not have the right to tell the Lord how he's to be honored. This is a very important thing that I'm about to say. Jesus tells us how we honor him. Hmm? We don't tell God, well, this is an acceptable honor to you. We don't get to do that. He'll tell us how he's honored. He'll tell us what he expects. And it's our job to, okay, love your wife. Let's just use this one. They're like, well, I don't understand that. I can't relate to that. Well, let me tell you how it works in my marriage. My wife wants me to love her. I don't have a clue. I have no clue. What do I say to you? Teach me how to love you. You have to show me how to love you. And she'll go, well, you should just be able to figure it out. You should just know that was years ago. Now she tells me. She'll go, okay, and she'll come back with a legal pad. Okay, I've been taking some notes. i got a few things here. This is what love looks like to me. And she'll tell me. And do you know what I want to do? I want to love her in the way that is meaningful to her. I'm not interested in loving her in the way that I think I should love her. I'm not interested in loving her in the way that the society wants me to love her. Because some of the things she wants are completely anti-society. Right? She wants like, but I'm like, okay, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. The Lord's the same way. We have to ask him. So lady, I'll just put a little note there. Ladies, you need to teach the brother how to love you. Right? You know what we want as men? Just tell us what you want. Just, well, I don't know what I want. Well, that's your problem. Well, you should figure me out, and you should figure out how to love me. It's not going to work. Not going to work. You're, you're, you're sabotaging your own household by acting like that. If that guy's vulnerable enough or he doesn't know what he doesn't have a clue, help him. If you want to do something that's meaningful to me, boop, up goes his ears. Doo, 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 doo. He's leaning in. He's leaning in. Well, then you should just ask the Lord and see what he wants you to have for me. No. Tell him. Tell him, I like long walks on the beach. Great. Let's do it this week. I like to go and just be alone with you. Okay, great. What does that look like? Conversation? You want me to read to you? I mean, what do you, what do you want? You know, you know. <laughs> we seriously don't know. We don't. And it's the same principle with honor when it comes to the Lord. We don't get to dictate to him 
It, he wants to be honored in a way that is meaningful to him. And what is most meaningful to him is the, way, is the thing that gives him the most access to you. God doesn't need honor. I'm going to say this one. Jesus doesn't need honor. He is worthy of it. Right? But he doesn't need it. He's surrounded by honor. He gives you the privilege to honor him. And in the privilege of honoring him, you have access to him. The whole reason he commands honor for us is to enable him to have greater access to you. You get that? He's not, oh, you're my slaves. Honor me. That's how we perceive him. He says, honor me so that I can have more access to you. That's what he wants. He wants more access to us. And when we realize we don't have access or you're feeling separated from the Lord, somewhere you're missing honor. Somewhere you're missing honor. There's a verse I was going to share that I didn't share it, but in the book of, uh, is it Psalms? It says, the Lord granted their request, but he put leanness in their souls. Ooh. They were asking God for a lot of things, and he, uh, and he gave them what they wanted. But he put leanness in their souls. They wanted everything but him. There are people that have lots of money, but they have leanness in their souls. There are people that have marriages, but they have leanness in their souls. There's people that have a lot of things, you know, but there's leanness in the soul. There's an unsatisfied appetite within them. There's no peace within them because there's a leanness placed within their soul. Somewhere there's a missing of honor. Somewhere you've made up your mind to do it your way. Somewhere, I don't know where, but somewhere there it is. So he says this. So God's given us life and we have inheritance. We have all these things. And so God, G, Peter says this. Therefore, since we have all things that pertain to life and godliness, therefore since, we have, then therefore, since we have great and precious promises, so we have an inheritance and we have promises. And he says, so great. So do you guys have faith? Now what you need to do is add to your faith virtue. That's what he says. Add to your faith an ability to manifest and change the environment. Remember, current changes the environment. So your faith is good, but you need to establish a current within your life that changes what is around you. Honor, right? Courage, wisdom. You got faith. I believe, I believe, I believe. Yeah, you believe, but you don't have wisdom. I believe, I believe, I believe. Yeah, you believe, but you don't have honor. <laughs> I believe, I believe, I believe. Yeah, but you don't have courage. I believe, I believe, I believe. And every time you get power, you abuse people with it. Get it? That's why he's saying you have faith. And unto your faith, you must establish virtue. And he says, do it with all diligence. You know what that means? Work hard at it. Do it with diligence. It's hard to, listen, to live a life of honor is hard. It gets easier after a while. I live this. I practice this. I'm, I think I'm 80-20. You know, Sherry would be more gracious to me than that because I honor her. She would say, no, you're more like 90-10. But, you know, because I'm thinking she's going to say you're 50-50. And she actually goes, no, you're more like 90-10. I live a life of honor. I choose to honor when I don't want to. And it's hard. I'm not saying I do it all the time. I have bad days. I have bad moments. I have bad years. I have bad weekends. I'm not saying I do it all the time, right? Occasionally I get a case of Tourette's and I want to cuss somebody out. But that's just me. That's just me. That's just me. Pray for me. Okay, I know none of y'all here are holy, unholy like that, but that's me, right? But I choose to live a life of honor. I subjugate myself into the place of honor. And the Bible says you have to do it with diligence. Right? You, have to will, you have to be intentional about it. 
You have to honor the unhonorable. You have to love the unlovable. You have to be intentional about it. It says, with all diligence, add to your faith virtue. In other words, faith is good, but it's not enough to manifest the environment. Faith is good to anchor you, but faith will not manifest the environment. Virtue is required to manifest the environment. Ooh, somebody needs to write that down. <laughs> You've been wondering, I've had faith for so long. Why isn't it happening? I thought it was all about faith. Add to your faith virtue, because virtue manifests the environment. Uh-huh. With all diligence, honor to esteem, to demonstrate value and worth with words and with actions. The central thing of the kingdom culture is honor. We have cultures, right? We have kingdom cultures. The word culture is the word world. is the Greek word cosmos. It means system of thinking. System of thinking. So when the Bible says we are in the world, but we are not of the world, it's saying you are in a system of thinking, but you are not part of that hive mind. You are not part of that Borg. You are a people that think and act differently from the cosmos in which you find yourself. So we have the world's culture, right? This is how this stuff breaks down. You have the world's culture, which is the hive mind of the world. Then you have American culture. You have Mexican culture. You have Cuban culture, right? You have Spanish Latin culture, right? We have, I don't know, pick one. I mean, Filipinos, they have the Tomsi Filipino. We have Filipino culture. So we not only have a hive mind within the culture, we have these little subsets of minds of thinking and processes within it. And they're systems of thinking. So culture is a system of thought. We're in it, but we're not of it. So collectively, no matter what our background is, we're supposed to have the same mind. Let this mind be in you, right? We're supposed to have a mind of Christ. We're supposed to think and act the same way. We're not supposed to think and act like the world because we're kingdom culture. There's another thing that's very rarely talked about, and it's called church culture. Church culture is not always kingdom culture. People come and they experience church and they think, this is what God's like. We're kingdom culture church. That's why it's like, wow, you guys are like, this is like, this is like, it's kind of exciting. It's like, you know, it feels like there's something going on here. I feel like I can be myself. I can twirl. I can dance. Yes, of course, it's kingdom culture, right? It's not restrictions, constraining. We all act like this. We all talk like this. We all look like this. I was... I was a system pastor for a lot of years in a church culture that their value was khaki pants and polo shirts. By God, if you were a man and you went to that church, you wore khaki pants and a polo shirt or you weren't part of the club. You know, and you knew that you rose to the occasion when you showed up that day and you had your khaki pants on and your polo shirts on. Oh, it was unspoken, but we all knew. Where's your khakis, Kevin? Where's your polo shirt? You're not looking too Banana Republic here this morning. What's going on with you? That was their culture. That was the ethos. That was the acceptable standard within. Here, it's like, there's no standard. We had suits in first service, shorts, flip-flops. We got the whole thing. Why? Because it's not about that. That's not the, the culture is freedom. Culture is liberty. But that's different than church culture. Church culture dictates the way we wear our hair, the way we talk to one another. Bless God, hallelujah, brother. Yeah, sanctified, holy, saved, going to the door, no, no, going to be with Jesus. Oh, sweet, by and by, going there, yep, yep, going there. Church culture. You think Jesus talks like that? He doesn't talk like that. He speaks common tongue. It's one of the things when you study the Lord, he spoke in the common tongue of the people. That's why the Pharisees were so insulted by him. How dare he speak with such low language? He spoke Aramaic. 
They spoke high Hebrew. Why did Jesus speak Aramaic? Could he not speak high Hebrew? He could speak anything he wanted to. He could make up his own language if he wanted to. He could speak the heavenly tongue. You know, he could do whatever he wanted to, but he spoke Aramaic because it was the common tongue of the people. It was where he was trying to associate. It was who he was trying to connect with. The well have no need of a physician, Jesus would say. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Kingdom culture and church culture is not always the same. Got me? Kingdom culture is an ethos. Ethos means a movement within the culture. There is a movement of what? Love, acceptance, honor, gratitude, generosity, kindness. Say all churches have that. Uh, let me just say that again. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you all get out much. <laughs> I'm going to pull back on that, and I'm going to come back to this so that I, before I go way out there. <laughs> honor begins with the Lord. Say it with me. It's all about Jesus. Yes. Come on, we want to be a kingdom people. We are servants of the gospel of the kingdom. We are not servants of denominations or doctrines of men. Not that the doctrines aren't important and all these other things, they, they have their place. But they're not at the forefront. Jesus is at the forefront. The culture of the kingdom is at the forefront. And honor is central. Probably the only thing that supersedes honor is the goodness of God. So we're talking about kingdom culture. Article 1 would be the goodness of God. Article 2 would be honor. Honor. Honor is at the central point of the kingdom. If you want to understand kingdom, you have to understand honor. And honor begins with the Lord. Now, everybody hold the chair. I want you to say this. Move. That's right. I'm going to step on some. I'm going to hurt some spiritual cows here this morning. Right? I want you to say this. Ouch. I may step on a few toes. I might. I might. Let's just get it out of the way. Get out of the way. Some of the things you hold sacred, your little spiritual cows, your little points of view. I might do that. I might hurt that spiritual cow. I might step on somebody's toes. Right? But my name is Kevin, and I'm your friend. I'm only trying to help you. My job is to illuminate. Your job is to partner with, receive, or reject. But my job is to illuminate. I cannot make anybody do anything. I can merely say, this is what the Lord wants. And that is it. So you cannot talk about honor without talking about the tithe. <gasps> I knew it was going to get offensive, Pastor, but I just didn't know it was going to be this soon. You cannot talk about honoring the Lord without talking about the tithe. Do you know in Genesis chapter 4, the first place that God even, the Bible even mentions the word honor is in direct relationship to the tithe. Did you know that? Did you know that? Genesis chapter 4. In the process of time it came, that Cain brought some of his fruit of the ground to the Lord and Abel brought, everybody say it with me, first fruits of the best parts. Mm -hmm. And it says, Abel, and the Lord honored Abel's offering. So the Lord, the first place where honor is even mentioned, he looked at Abel, he said, first and, first and best. He said, you get me. And he honored Abel. Cain said, well, I guess I got to bring some of those day-old radishes and, you know, hey, man, pick up those carrots that got rotten mold on them and here, let's go give that to Jesus. And it says, the Bible says he had no honor for Cain's offering and Cain became very angry. Cain got angry. And the Lord said, why are you downcast? Do what is right and you'll be accepted. You can't honor me like that. That's what he's telling him, right? People want to bring their three-legged broken down table. I, I tell first service, like, people bring donations to us. Look, I'm all in. Like, you want to give us, like, some, you know, crazy ergomatic chair? You know, Shelly, you want to give her, like, a vibrating lounger for the office? I'm sure she'll take it. She's all in on that, 
But we don't need the broken down where all the leatherettes peeling off, you know, the, the, the chair or the table or the couch or whatever it is you're trying to give away that you set out on the roadside for a week and nobody took it. And so now you go, well, Jesus will want it. That's how people think. I mean, how much junk do we clear out of the back because somebody well-meaningly brings us broken down crap? I mean, it's like, seriously? I'm like, where'd this come from? They're like, well, somebody thought we needed it. I go, it doesn't work. You know, it doesn't work. Why would we need this? It doesn't work yet. You know, it's what happens, right? So here it is. So Cain brought what was left over. Abel brought his first and best. The theologian people want to argue and they say, oh, it's about blood sacrifice. There's no mention of blood sacrifice in that passage. What is central is first and best, and that is tithe, first and best. (gasps) Here we go again. So we're talking about how God deems honor. Ready? So he puts it in the context, giving throughout the scripture from beginning to end, the first way that God establishes honor is through the giving. So what does that mean? It means it is impossible to honor the Lord in the manner that he has prescribed and not give. Mm. I'm not telling you to give. I'm not saying anything. It's not my relevance to you. It's just that this is what the scripture says. God deems his honor in direct relationship to giving. He establishes that. We don't say, well, does Jesus not know how to manage money? Why is it, you know, just like, he's broke? Do we got to give him money because Jesus doesn't know how to manage money? His streets are gold. His walls are jasper. His gates are pearls. He sits his throne upon a, a sea made out of diamonds, right? So I don't think money's his problem. He creates the earth, and the earth is a wealth generator. The earth is making gold right now. The earth is making turquoise right now. The earth is making diamonds and rubies right now. That's just physically. He's also within the atmosphere itself is wealth. Ideas, understandings, concepts is in the atmosphere. How do you know? Where did electricity come from? Huh? Was there all the time? Wasn't it? Did it just appear in the early part of the 20th century or 1900s? I mean, did it just, well, look what this just, just showed up. Look what was here. It was here the whole time. Radio was there the whole time. There are things in the atmosphere that are undiscovered. Wealth accumulating, and do, there are things, ideas, concepts, ideas, all sorts of things that are not just physically being manifested, but are spiritually available. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Well, why won't the Lord show me? Well, probably because you're greedy. That's probably why. I'm just saying. (laughs) I got one. That's all I need. I only need one. So it says this, Proverbs 3.9, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits. There we go again. Of all of your finances. Then. Everybody say then. Uh, Then. All right, your barns will fill, be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. We say, God's going to fill my barns with plenty and my vats with new wine. Not if you don't apply the promise or the principle to the promise, Christian. So he establishes giving in the context of honor. It gets even more personal than that. Everybody hold the chair. He puts it in the, so what happens is when you do a message on tithing, you do, you do this kind of message. You got three groups, right? You got the group that's like, I don't know about this. I'm not too sure. But the other group say, we don't have to. We don't have to. And then we got the group of givers that are like, woo. Keep saying it. My faith is rising. I'm getting encouraged. (laughs) So the second area is the area of father. We're sons and daughters, are we not? 
Yes. Yes. We are sons and daughters. The first area is he puts it in honor. The second is he puts it relational to his people. So there's two chapters in the Bible. There's more than that. But the entire book of Malachi and the 58th chapter of the book of Isaiah are answers to the people's questions. I would even probably argue Galatians 5 is an answer to the question too. But there are chapters within the Bible because the people are like, Lord, we're your people. What's going on? Why is my life a train wreck? Why is everything so fractured? Why is the enemy ravaging me? What's happening here, Lord? What's missing? But they're more not even asking what. They're accusing God to his face. You have forsaken us. You have denied us. You are not faithful. So they're not even asking him. But yet God in his mercy gives us books, like the entire book of Malachi. You want to know what Malachi is doing? He's answering the people's questions as to why their lives are so shot out. The book of Isaiah chapter 58 is answering the people's questions as to why their lives are so fractured. The message of Isaiah 58 is he tells them, your life is fractured because it's all about you. Read Isaiah 58. You do what you want, you say what you want, you come and go as you please, it's all about you, you forget me, you forget the people around you. Read it. He tells them, you want to know where the cracks are coming from? You want to know where the fractures are? Because you make it all about you. We're to seek first what? The kingdom. Well, fruit, yes, but the kingdom of God and what is right to him. Malachi chapter, Malachi, three chapters in Malachi. He's telling the people what their problem is. You know, if you want to ask Jesus what your problem is, he'll tell you. You won't like the answer because you're probably, you're looking, you're trying to deflect the, uh, the responsibility off of yourself. But if you really want to know what your problem is, if you really want to know where the dysfunction is, he will tell you. Most people can't, you can't handle the truth. Most people can't handle the truth. Or because it's so easy to make an excuse and put it back on him than it is for us to take personal responsibility and change. Galatians, I say that the heir, so long as they are a child, is no different than a slave, even though they are masters of all. But they are under stewards and guardians until the time appointed by the Father. What? Sounds like a poem. Yeah? Well, let's read into it. I say that the heir, that's you and me, are no different than slaves as long as we are children but we are under stewardship and training of the Father until he appoints the time where we can demonstrate maturity. Why is, the Christian, uh, why is the Christian no different than a slave? Why is the Christian's businesses, finances, marriages, homes, I don't know, pick one, emotional state, why are we medicated? <laughs> I think Christians are on just as much anxiety medicine as the non-believer. What? Well, pastor, you got to understand, people have mental condition. I mean, look, I, I don't even want to argue that. I don't, I don't, I really, I don't want to, I don't even want to debate that. I get it. There are people that do need, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I just read that we're supposed to be, we're supposed to go with faith first, aren't we? I mean, I, I don't know. That's just me. I, I, it's just me. Believe God, you know? Don't submit to culture. I submit to his culture. That's another story. But he tells them what's wrong with them. Heirs, so long as they're no different than a slave. As long as you're a child, as long as you are undeveloped, immature, inadequate, self-centered, opinionated. Right? That's one of the things he tells them in Isaiah. Is you keep telling me your opinion. Isn't that crazy? He doesn't want your opinion unless you ask for it. 
You're like, this isn't fairy Jesus, pastor. No, it's King Jesus. I preach to you Christ the King. I'm not giving you my little pony, Jesus. I'm giving you Christ the King. He's Lord and Savior. He's my Father. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. If I'm your Father, where's my honor? Malachi 1.6. He's my Father. I'm a son and daughter. He would never speak to me that way. Really? Shall I read on? <laughs> we have to grow up. We're masters of all. Yet we're no different than slaves. Jeremiah says, is Israel a homeborn slave? I love that verse. Because he's looking at his people and he's like, like, almost like asking the angels, did, did, did I bring these people to myself so that they could be house slaves? Is that, did I do that? Why, why are they homeborn slaves? Why are my people in bondage? Why are my people slaves? Why are my people subjugated? Why? He tells them, because they forsake me. Well, I don't forsake you. I forsake his, I worship God. Listen, there's a lot more, that, there's a lot more to obedience than worshiping God. Yeah. I'm not talking about he doesn't love you. You can be disobedient, you're loved. There's lots of disobedient Christians, but they're loved. There's lots of disobedient Christians, and they're saved and going to heaven. Doesn't disqualify their eternity, but it will disqualify their destiny. So you can be as born again, be disobedient, and, you know, Jesus loves you, and you're going to smoke your way into heaven. You'll get there because he who promised is faithful. But you're going to have a lot of dysfunction and disorganization along the way. So if you really want to know why your life's cracked, he tells you. <laughs> if you really want to know, you know, why do we fast and we do not hear? Why do we rip our clothes and throw ashes on our head, Lord, and you don't see? He says, you robbed me. <gasps> no. Why does our light not shine, Lord? Why is it we have the glorious gospel, and yet our light is so dim? Because you make it about you, Isaiah says. If I am your father, where is my honor? If I am your master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, this gets really raw. Ready? He says this, you are priests who despise my name. What? You are priests who despise my name. And they say to him, in what way have we despised your name? And you know what he says? <laughs> you offer leftovers on my altar. There again, we have honor directly related to the offering. Directly. You are priests, but yet you despise my name. Oh, you, I want to be clear. They had the priestly gobes on. They were, he didn't say you're no longer priests. They were still walking around, acting, talking, looking like priests. Nobody would have thought they weren't priests. If they looked at one another, they all thought they were priests. But to the Lord, he said, you are priests who despise my name. You want my opinion? I'm going to tell you. Right? You're loved. Yep, you still got the priestly garments on, but you act like a person who hates me. How so? You give me your leftovers. <laughs> this is just real. What I'm trying to tell you is God prescribes the way he is to be honored, Christian. We don't prescribe to him the way that he's honored. He tells us how he's to be honored. He says, I am worthy of your first and best. If your employer can have it, so can I. Offer it to your governor. Am I not greater than your governor? You offer that to your banker. Offer that to your mayor, you offer that to your lawyer, you offer that to the person downtown, you offer that to your friends, but you give me your scraps, you give me your first and best, you say, I don't have anything. Well, maybe you don't have anything because you don't give it. You have to give it, Christian. People go, I can't tithe. I always wanted to say this, I didn't get a chance to. You have to take the tithing challenge. Can't give 10%, give one. Can't give one, give two. Can you give 1%? So I tell Christians, can you start 
with 2% of your income? Can you start with three? And can you attach faith to the 3% that you give? And can you establish a realistic number and tell the Lord, I will give three, and if you will bring me to this plateau, and don't you back out on the three, if you will give me the three, and when you get me to this point, I will give you the full tithe. And watch what he does. Watch what he does. Pick a number. Well, when I get a million, I'll tithe. It's not going to happen. Be realistic. not going to happen. You may make $35,000 a year and say, oh, Lord, I can give you 3% of that. Okay. If you get me to 65, I'll give you the full 10. Boom. You will be shocked at how he undoes your world. Because he wants to bring you to the place of faithfulness. He wants to bring you to the place of fullness. You're the only one who diminishes him. You diminish his power in your life. You do. I'm, you know, people like 10%. They think that's the cutoff. I'm like, just put faith on it, man. People go, I can't even give 3%. Can you give one? This is the big challenge. Can you give one penny on every dollar the Lord gives you? One cent. Oh, Lord, I can't give. Oh, Lord, that's so much money. Wow, the new iPhone's out. And it's only $1,600. Wow. There's a $1,200 flat screen on sale. But I can't give to Jesus. If you can put 22s on your car, you can have that new iPhone 65000 in your pocket. You can have radar on your house. You can have every channel known to man, but you can't give to Jesus. Consider your ways. Your car's flossed and polished. Just saying. We just have to, we have to be confronted with the reality of truth sometimes in order for us to change. Say, you're offending me. I'm, I'd make no apologies. Do you know why? I'm going to tell you why, Christian. Jesus is the lithgon, which means cornerstone. The lithgon is also the scandalon. Lithgon means a guiding stone. So we, we set down the cornerstone of Christ in our life, and our lives are to be guided and built upon the guidelines of the, of the, of the cornerstone, the lithgon, right? But the lithgon is a scandalon, and it means offensive. In other words, Jesus said, if you're going to build it, you're going to build it this way. If you're going to do it, you're going to do it this way. And we go, oh, I don't think we should do it that way. Scandalon it means he strikes the pride. That's what the word scandalon means. I don't think it should go like this. No, well, then you're not going to have it. You're double-minded in all your ways. Let you not think that you're going to receive anything. You say this, Jesus says this. Well, you're not getting anything. Sorry. One of us is wrong, Kevin, and it's not me. The Lord told me. <laughs> we line our lives up with Jesus. And sometimes to weigh the line your life off with Jesus, it strikes us. That's the word scandalon. Right? It strikes us. There's Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Scandalon. It strikes us. Buddha's not the way. Muhammad's not the way. All faiths are not the same. Islam's not equal with Christianity. Neither is Hebraic Judaism equal with Christianity. There is one way. One way. Scandalon. And he doesn't blink. You say that offends people. It does. I'll give you another one. Here's one of my favorite stories. One of my favorite stories about Jesus. I love so many stories about Jesus. This is one of my favorite. Matthew 15. <laughs> He's giving a speech, right? He's teaching. And the Pharisees, the religiously correct, are standing around him while he talks. And they get mad and they walk away. And Peter walks up and goes, Peter says, Lord, you, you offended them. You, you, you offended the Pharisees. And Jesus is like, what? I offended the Pharisees? He's like, really, Peter? I offended them? Looks at the other guys. You guys, I offended them? Really? 
And he looks at them while they're leaving, and he goes this. He's du- he doubles down. He goes, every tree that my father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. You are blind leaders of the blind. You cannot lead people yourselves being blind and not fall into a ditch. That's what he said. Those were his words after Peter said, you offended them. That doesn't, that doesn't sound like fairy Jesus, pastor, because it's not fairy Jesus. This isn't my little pony Jesus. This is King Jesus. This is your Lord. This is your Savior. This is your King who is just as that same way in defending you. He's that same way in upholding you. He's that same way in fulfilling his promises to you. He doesn't blink and he doesn't back down. He didn't run over them and offer an apology. I'm sorry, Nicodemus. I'm sorry, Caiaphas. I know you're the high priest and I know I offended you. Oh, I'm so sorry. He says, does this offend you? Well, let me tell you a little bit more. If you don't like what I just said, you're really not going to like what I'm about to say. Why? Scandalon, smiting stone. What does he strike? Human pride and human opinion. Yet we feel that we can dictate to him and we feel that we can say whatever we want and because he's loving and gracious, he allows it, but we never manifest what he has for us. His love and his grace will allow you to dictate to him. Do you know why? Because it isn't affecting him. It affects you. When you dictate terms to the Lord, it doesn't affect him. It affects you. It does. When you don't want to give, and even though he commands it, and he says it's a relationship of honor, and it's a relationship of fatherhood, and you say, I don't think so, he said, okay. Okay. Fine with me. Never manifest it. But my vats are going to overflow, and my barns are going to burst. No, they're not. No, they're not. You offer leftovers on my altar. I'm the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed. Because I'm good and I'm kind. People want to dictate terms with tithes. I hear this all the time. All the time. Like, oh, it's hard to tithe. You know, it's tithe. The Lord said, I'm the God who doesn't change. What I was to Abraham, what I was in the beginning, what does he change? There's a lot of externals he changes, but his nature and his honor does not change. He's not changing on his honor. I'm the Lord, I don't change. My nature is the same. I'm good, I'm kind, I'm gracious, I don't change. He says, you shall return to me. People are asking what's wrong. He says, you've robbed me. Where have you robbed me? Very familiar passage. A lot of people in tithes and offerings. Therefore you wear a curse because you have robbed me, even this whole nation. What happens? The enemy claims a right against you. (gasps) Devil does nothing but by right, Christian. He claims a right against your finances. He He claims a right to pillage your fields, rob you at leisure because you have enacted yourself. What happened with Peter, right? Same thing here. Peter... Goes to, Jesus goes to Peter and says to Peter, Satan has asked for you. He wants to sift you. That would freak me out, right? I don't know about you. What was, but he couldn't do that. What, what, was Peter, what was the claim against Peter? This is the question. Because the devil can't do anything. He's asking for Peter, and he's making a claim against Peter. What was his claim? Self-sufficiency. All will abandon you, I will not. I can stand, Lord. The devil's like, wow, that's a pretty crazy, prideful claim. I'll take that. I demand the right to put that to the test. He claims self-sufficiency. I demand the right to put that to the test. And Jesus told him. What Peter should have done is Peter should have said, the devil's asked of me, what is his claim? What claim does he make against me? But Peter wasn't even at that place. 
Because if he would have known that, he would have said, well, then I repent of that and I repent of all my self-sufficiency and I humbly bow and I am sufficient, not in myself, but you and you alone. But he didn't because he was self-sufficient. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is how it works, man. Oh, I don't believe that. That's fine with me too. I don't really need to convince people of anything. I'm just telling you that's how it is. And when people lay claim to, because we're in covenant promise with the Lord, our blessings flow in and through him. And when we break that covenant and we claim self-sufficiency, he claims that right against us. You want to be self-sufficient? You think you can manage your marriage, big boy? Good luck. Let's put that to the test. You think you can manage your business? You think you can manage your children? Good luck. I am super mom. Amazing mother. I can do all things as a mother. I know everything. I've got an opinion for everybody on what motherhood looks like. Right? <laughs> Most people that have infant children have that opinion. Most moms that have adult children, they're like, I don't have an opinion about anything. I thought I knew, but, you know, I don't know what I know anymore. So, Self-sufficiency, guys. I'm just trying to tell you how this works. It's, it's, it's heavy stuff. But sometimes we've got to be challenged on Jesus' authority. And we take liberties with him that actually harm us. And we mistake his love and his grace because he's just kind to us. He's kind. He lets you. He'll let you presume upon him. He won't make you. But he also will not, he will challenge you to not be ignorant of his principles. And you have a choice. When he lays the principles before you, you can receive them. Or you can he that hears what? Ears to hear. Those that pull their ear and integrate this into them life... Let them hear. Not everybody has ears to hear. It means pull on your ear. Listen to what the Lord is saying. Integrate this into your life. But not everybody does. And so we think, well, because God is gracious to us like that, therefore he doesn't really mean it. it because he's not doing it. God doesn't need to do anything. What we do is we bring it upon ourselves. Jesus is trying to get you saying, here's the highway of blessing. Here's the river of blessing. I want to bring you like a hen does its chicks. I want to hover over you. I want to nourish you. I want to develop you. Come this way, but you would not. <laughs> and what he said to Israel? I wanted to hover over you. I wanted to brood over you. But you wouldn't let me. You go your own way. What ends up happening was we end up way out there, and it's not God's intent for us to be that way, but we have to agree with him. We have to partner with him. We have to go his way. The tithe is the first and the best. Bring the tithe. Attach faith. Here's the second side of it. Attach faith. Everybody say it with me. Attach faith. So we all talk about giving. A lot of times we talk about the tither when it's taught. They, we use this passage because it's an extremely clear one. There's also a New Testament. Where is it in the New Testament? It's there. You should tithe, yes, but you should not neglect the weightier matters of the law. Jesus affirmed the tithe, period. He said that. You tithe of the literal niddle, tittle thing that you do. You know why the Pharisees tithe? Because It worked. Trust me, if it didn't work, they wouldn't tithe. All they cared about was money. And they would, <laughs> Jeremiah's not in his they, they would get down to the dot. They would get it down to the last pence, and they would make sure they tithe. And Jesus said, you tithe to the last pence. Good for you. But you neglect the weightier matters of the law. He said, you should tithe, yes, but you should not neglect the weightier matters. So Jesus never taught the tithing. He affirmed it. Why did he need to teach it? It's there. Right? New Testament liberates it. It goes from a mandate to, to a willingness 
You're not mandated. You're not forced to do it. You are to give it with your heart. You are to comply willingly. You're to do it out of honor and not out of conscription. Big difference, right? So that we're not conscripted into doing this. We do it because we honor him. That's the highest level of giving. Obedience is one, right? Necessity is another. Some people need to give because they want to put faith on it. They want to do something for breakthrough. That's cool. But the highest level of giving is honor. Always honor. Scandalon. <laughs> so we honor the Lord. That's the first primary thing. And I'm going to go quick to these last ones. But that's the central point. When you look at how God on, we honor God, he, he t- you can't talk about God's honor without talking about that. And it's in relationship to honor, and it's in relationship to our responsibility as sons and daughters. It's part of our family relationship. If I'm your father, then honor me. (laughs) And then he directly goes right into the tithe. (laughs) Crazy stuff, man. Crazy stuff. Honor the Lord with the time. So what we do as a church is we begin to dictate how we honor God. Well, we don't get to, we honor God with our time, we honor God with our, man, honor him the way he wants to be honored. That's first and foremost, because he is really his biggest thing is to activate blessing in your life. We honor him with the tithe. We honor him with our time. It says delight in the Lord, right? You've been called to freedom, but don't use your freedom for an opportunity of self-indulgence. But love and serve each other, for the law is fulfilled this way. Love your neighbor as yourself. So God is saying, honor me. You've been given freedom, but use that, use that time and that liberty that you've been given to serve each other. That's one of the things... Uh, Sunday morning should be is to be servitude of one another. We should serve each other. People that serve the kids, man, honor them. You know? People that serve in the back, honor them. The worship team, honor them. Honor them. Margie, honor her. We honor you, Margie. You know? So honor them. Yes. (laughs) We honor you. We should honor each other. We should serve one another with honor. I have a challenge for you. You're going to honor three people. I want you to honor three people a day. And you start with today. You can honor yourself. That would be a good one. Start with yourself. Honor, honor your worship. Honor, um, we honor the Lord with worship. When we come together, it says sing songs. <laughs> when we come together, God's telling us to sing. So I can't, I can't sing. Sing anyway. Tells us to lift up hands. Singing's not my thing. You know when I tell people? It's Jesus' thing. It's not my thing. It's Jesus' thing. Lifting up hands. It's not my thing. It's his thing. Dancing. You know, people dance and move. You know, you know groove. That's cool. He likes, dancing is his thing too. He likes all of it. Shouting is his thing. But we can't even get people to lift their hands, let alone shout, right, or dance. But it's his thing, right? So when we come together, we do it not because it's our thing. We do it because it's his thing. Even if you can't carry a tune in a bucket, man, sing. Hallelujah. Until somebody beside you says, could you please stop singing, then you have permission to sing. You're really seriously throwing me off, man. Can you hum or something else? You know, it's kind of <laughs> Sing psalms, spiritual songs. Praise the Lord with all your heart. Always use his name to bless the Father and to honor and serve each other. So honor and serve each other. And the heart is the last part. Oh, we got to do communion. Ah, the heart. So we honor the Lord with our heart. So your heart. The Bible says guard your heart with all diligence because out of it come the issues of life. Your heart. Everything comes out of it. So we're supposed to protect our heart. But our heart is also to be centered in Jesus. And when your heart is centered in Jesus, then, and God is honored in your heart, then Jesus becomes the filter of your life. Right? He becomes the filter. In your hearts, honor Christ as sacred. Hold him close to your heart. Hold him sacred. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, with all of my heart I will honor you. And I will glorify your name forever.
It's integrating Jesus into every area of our lives. So Jesus is always to be at the center of their heart. Always. I, I have a thing with me, and it doesn't go well when I don't. When I get up in the morning, i got to go find me some Jesus. Right? So I disappear for a while because I go find me some Jesus. Because <laughs> my day doesn't go very well unless I find me some Jesus in the morning. Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the noontime. I have to find him. I have to find my place of honor. I have to establish my heart before him. Somebody's like, well, i got to go to work. Well, do it in the commute. Right? Do it in the commute. Get up earlier, whatever, but, or just do it on the commute. Worship. Say, I carpool. Well, then you got to tell your friends, hey, look, I don't know about y'all, but i got to get me some Jesus before I get to work. So whatever. But honor him, and that's set your heart upon him and your affections upon him. And people go, oh, my gosh, I've been so dishonorable. Oh, you're really convicting me, man. What do I do? What do I do? Past is over. Can't change the past. You can only change the future. Timothy gives you an answer. If anyone cleanses or clarifies or corrects the dishonor, they will become a vessel of honor. In other words, don't live in the dishonor. Correct the dishonor, right? And, set, and you will become set apart, useful to the master, and ready for every good work. So don't worry about, like, like, you know, like, wow, this is really convicting me, man. I've been living my life all about me. Oh, well. Get over yourself, position yourself, and honor the Lord. You know, that, that's the difference. It's like we can't live in the guilt and the shame of the past. We can't change the past. We can only change the future. Amen? <laughs> We love you. If you're there this morning, you want, I want to ask you one question. Do you know Jesus? That's my first question. My second question is, don't you know of him, but is he in your heart? The greatest honor you could pay the Lord is to give him the opportunity of coming into your heart. The greatest opportunity you could pay the Lord is by giving him the opportunity to save you. You say, save me from what? You have a sin problem. Every single person on this planet has a sin problem. We're born with it. We can't wash it away. We can't will it away. We can't get rid of it. The only thing that can deal with our sin and eradicate and take away that is Jesus through his blood. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the goodness or the glory of God. The Bible says the wages or the reciprocal effect of that sin is death. Death, experiential death in this world and death eternal. You say, is there a heaven to gain? There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. If you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is risen from the dead, you'll be saved. That's a promise. We talk about promises and conditions. The promise is that God will save you. He will forgive you. He will heal you and restore you. The condition is, is that you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. If you don't believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you're not saved. You can't will, will yourself there. So we're going to say a prayer. And I want you to open your mouth. If you've never prayed it before, there's something about saying the words that matter. And so we're going to pray. And all we got to do is open your heart. And say the prayer that I'm praying. And you say, that's it? It's as simple as it can be. So let's pray. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. We're going to take communion, so we're going to end the stream. We bless you in Jesus' name. So we're going to...